1: healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI.
2: Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow.
0: Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count for your career, for your family, for your life you can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
2: Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just 49 dollars Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.
0: Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Our colleague Noel is not here today, but will be returning shortly. They
1: call me Ben. We're joined as always with our super producer, Paul Mission Control Deccant. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. Astute listeners, you may hear a bit of uh, something almost like oceanic tides on my end of the recording today. That is because it is a wonderfully emo day here in Atlanta, Georgia. You could look outside and swear you were in Seattle. Uh, as a result, the street near me has turned into a river. So Wait, is that true? Always. Ponce is always a river when it rains. So it's it's kind of soothing, you know, and maybe that's something people need nowadays, I think. Uh, Just occasionally moments of uh, self-reflection, quietness, getting away from the screens, something soothing. And it's good that we're starting off that way because for a lot of sports fans in the audience today, this episode is going to piss you off and you know about some of it, but you may not know about all of it. Uh, Matt, Mr. Frederick, would you consider yourself a fan of sports? All the sports, huge, everyone fan.
0: face paint mm-hmm. every day, pretty much. Cause there's so many sports that I got to paint my face for.
1: Boxing, uh, chess—you mm-hmm. know that's a real thing where people alternate chess and boxing. All the sports, without exception.
0: Though so I only like boxing before they started wearing gloves. You know where it was pretty much focused on body blows. You couldn't really punch yeah, the yeah, face because yeah. it would break your your fist. Uh, that's that's really where my boxing. <laughs> Excitement lies.
1: And I can see when you square up your old school, you know. Oh, yeah. You got it's the definitely, the, your it's definitely
0: you cover your, your chest, right? Because you don't want to uh, get liver shot or yeah. break those ribs. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh,
1: well, that's the thing. You know, whether or not you are a diehard sports fan in general, whether or not you uh, like our good pal Max have one specific sport you like, Max Williams is a baseball fan, uh, you have definitely heard about something called the World Cup. As we record and as this episode releases, the 2022 World Cup is reaching a culmination in the Middle Eastern nation of Qatar or Qatar. Uh, it's, this World Cup is the top competition for the most popular sport on the planet. Americans call it soccer. Literally, everyone else calls it some version of football, uh, and that's <laughs> that's where we start today. We're going to talk about sports, but we're quickly going to go to some strange, sinister places today. As the world waits to see which country will win the cup, we're here to explore the stuff FIFA doesn't want you to know. Here are the facts.
0: Yes, as we record today, Japan and Croatia are battling it out, and Brazil and South Korea. Are also engaged in mortal combat, A.K.A. football. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. And so let, let us just talk about the World Cup in general. Let's let's uh, set the table, shall we? Uh, it's this thing called FIFA that maybe you only know because you're a gamer and you like video games, and so do your friends, and you play a game called FIFA. And it has to do with soccer. They're also known as the or actually they're known for real as the Federation Internationale de Football or Football Association also is on there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they're very old. Uh, I was not aware of this for for some time, uh, but FIFA being founded on May 21st, 1904, 1904, is One of the world's biggest non-governmental organizations or NGOs, it's also one of the oldest ones that still exists today. And if you look at the history, it makes sense. Somebody needed to organize this stuff. At the dawn of the 20th century, seven different national associations, uh, associations that govern football in their own countries, came together, did a Voltron thing, assembled their Avengers. And so Belgium, Denmark, the Netherlands, France, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, they all said, OK, we're going to make a, a, an even bigger band. We're going to make a super group and we're going to do some Important things. We're gonna like unif we're gonna uniformize these things. If I if I could style on American English for a second.
0: Yeah, it'll be like the Olympics. It'll be worldwide, but it'll only be for football. And we'll control. It. I like how you said the dawn of the 20th century, because the way I see this, instead of D-A-W-N, I, I read it D-O-N of the 20th century, <laughs> because it is this massive organization and somebody's gotta lead it. And be the dawn of FIFA.
1: What a great setup. And I like that organized crime reference too. You'll see why, folks. So, no matter how you feel about FIFA today, if you think they're the worst thing ever, or you're such a fanboy that you sing FIFA Las Vegas to yourself in the shower, the point is the organization had to exist. Something like this would have arisen due to necessity. You know, uh, as as the 20th century is going on, more and more international games are being played. Right. People are absolute fanatics for their chosen team. Right. And they said, okay, we need somebody to organize everything. We need some group. Making sure that all competitions have the same rules, have the same processes in place. We need to do stuff like agree that if a player is suspended, that suspension is recognized by everybody, right? So another country doesn't just go snap this person up, you know. And then, of course, their main thing was to ensure the games were fair. That is um, still officially a big concern, objectively. This was a fantastic idea. And if you look at the dawn, D-O-N, of FIFA, you got to look at the very first president who wasn't, you know, a criminal kingpin. He was he was just he was a French guy. He's a very smart French guy.
0: Yes. Named Bob uh, Robert Guerin. <laughs> he ran things from 04, 1904 to 1906. And uh, there have been a lot of people who have held that title, the president of FIFA And a lot of people have held it for a long time. Some people have only held it for a wee little bit of time. Like Rodolphe Sealdreyer's 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 Sealdreyer's. Is that how you'd say it? Rodolf Sealdreyer's of Germany. (laughs) This guy only served for a year. He got in and then he went, "Uh uh-oh, all those doors opened that were, you know, secret before becoming president. And he went, nope, I'm out. (laughs) I'm just kidding. We don't know what happened. (sighs) He just had one heck of a year. But
1: uh because of the way the terms for the president work, uh it is possible to serve for much longer. Uh like Dr. Havelang out of Brazil served for more than two decades from 1974 all the way up until 1998. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, he put his time in. He's got his stripes. Uh, the current president is a guy named Gianni Infantino out of Switzerland. He took office in 2016. Presidents are elected for a four-year term, uh, and now they can, you know, they can have, they can be re-elected uh, multiple times. So FIFA experiences a lot of ups and downs over the decades, uh, similar to the modern Olympics, right? This has struggled through world wars, numerous economic downturns. Let us not forget the world is ending for someone somewhere every single day. So they almost collapsed in 1918. There's some pretty inspiring stories about the people who kept it going. Uh, but really, the love of the sport across across human experience, across so many demographics, kept the World Cup alive, and the real like the official inaugural World Cup by FIFA was actually not held until 1930. It was in Uruguay from July 13th to the 30th of 1930. Uh, Uruguay paid out the nose for this, by the way. They paid, uh, they paid all the travel expenses. They had to split ticket sales with FIFA. It's, the money was already getting crazy. Uh, and but think
0: about the tourism dollar spend. Oh sure,
1: yes, sure. The tourism dollars, and hey, maybe all the people who work in the service industry or at those hotels and restaurants, maybe their wages increase too. Spoiler, mm, we'll see. But the uh, the well, thing and is, the
0: thing is, it wasn't it wasn't exactly simulcast, right? That right. you didn't get to see it the world over. You had to be there to watch the World Cup in nineteen thirty.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you absolutely had to be there. And now the idea of marketing rights, the idea of broadcast rights, all that stuff is another huge revenue stream. Because obviously, folks, way more people are watching this remotely than can afford to actually go across the planet to watch these games in person. And some people, as we'll see uh, this year, Even if they could afford to go, they were a little too concerned, maybe, about their personal safety to make the journey. So, yeah, the competition only expands over time. The popularity of the World Cup only grows because it's an awesome thing, especially if you like football. And as it grew, the money grew as well. The money metastasized. Uh, Today, 95% of all sports fans globally have their finger on the pulse of the World Cup. They know what's going to happen. They know it's happening every four years. They're stoked about it. Uh, Billions of viewers are watching, which is nuts when you think about it. There are 8 billion people in the world and a huge percentage of them. Time zones be damned, are watching this stuff live across hundreds and hundreds of nations. You know, oh, yeah. Even some the UN doesn't recognize.
0: Oh, snap. <laughs> it's true. Uh, I, I, you know, Ben, I wonder if those 5% of people that don't know what the World Cup is, I wonder if there's a higher likelihood that they're Americans simply because soccer in this country isn't as popular as it is in almost every other country on the planet. I wonder if like most of that 5% is somewhere in the U.S.,
1: but surely they'd be at least aware of it. Because otherwise, what what would the phrase World Cup mean to you? Are 5% <laughs> of Americans going, I've got my own cups. I don't need to share one with the world. That's a stupid idea. You'd never be able to build a big enough cup.
0: They also don't have friends and they don't have a television or internet because... And they've never played a video game or heard of them.
1: Yeah or the margin of error is 5%.
0: Yeah, that's probably it's probably margin pool. of error. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so like so here's the issue. When you get this many people involved in literally anything because of the way people work, opportunities for corruption are going to grow exponentially. And that's why, you know, nobody is really surprised that FIFA has become the subject of numerous allegations over the decades. Uh, And in fact, you know, under the auspices of previous FIFA presidents, it's been accepted as an open secret that there was at least some degree of corruption. And when we ask about conspiracies, not theories, but actual conspiracies, corruption and crime, when it comes to FIFA you know, well, we have to – well, the answer, simply put, is if you ask how much corruption exists in FIFA, the answer is way more than you might think. Way, way, way more. <laughs> Ted. <laughs> right. Yes, way. Here's where it gets crazy. All right, honestly. It's uh, – we spent some time going into the weeds of the Byzantine process for getting your country to host the world cup. We're not going to go all the way into it. You can definitely, you may already know the ins and outs, at least the official explanations. Um, You could probably make there. I'm sure there are multiple uh, fantastic sports podcasts, probably on our network that talk about the FIFA selection process. Uh, But it's the, the thing is it's a huge win For that host competition, it's not hyperbole to say it's as prestigious as hosting the Olympic Games. In fact, it's a bigger deal than hosting the Olympics. Sorry, IOC.
0: (laughs) Well, the way to imagine it for me is if you somehow convince the International Olympic Committee to get the Olympics in your country, uh, somehow you do it. And it's not easy. It's usually about what kind of infrastructure do you currently have and what new stuff are you going to build for it? And it's not dissimilar to what happens with countries working with FIFA to get the World Cup in their town or in their city or their country, because it's not cheap to either build a brand new stadium or maybe two stadiums or to retrofit your old stadium so that it can you know, have that many people inside of it to even host a single game, let alone the entire tournament. Um, it is very expensive to get the World Cup or the Olympics in your country.
1: Yeah, I mean, why stop at stadiums? Some countries have built cities yes. for the World Cup, right? Uh, that's, where, that's where Qatar comes in. Uh, you know, you make a great point about the infrastructure. I would also add that uh, part of the argument To win hosting rights for the Olympics or the World Cup uh, goes down to uh, the question of what sort of message do we as FIFA want to give to the world, right? There's a lot of uh, geopolitical stuff at play here, a lot of tremendous opportunity for good and bad things. Uh, Yeah, so you nailed it though, because most countries just, they're not gonna have that. They're not gonna say, hey, we got eight stadiums. At an empty, brand new city that Yay. still has new car smell, you it's got know
0: all the hotels you could possibly need. Like we're talking 140 empty hotels ready to rock. Mm-hmm. It's really glad you guys
1: came along because <laughs> you know we were sort of freestyling this one. You know, we build cities the way people play jazz, right? So, so <laughs> we just we get a general theme and then it'll figure itself out. But that's exactly. Uh, what happened? Uh, one, the most recent country to host has built a city, uh, and it's cost two hundred twenty billion dollars U.S. or the equivalent. Uh, and this is not this spending tens and tens of billions of dollars is not especially unusual. But here's the question, Matt: To your earlier point, is that a solid investment for the for the countries? Like. A, a local example here for us in Atlanta would be, when's the last time you went to Centennial Park? Ooh, for a free
0: concert years ago. Wait a oh, minute. Yeah. How are they making money? It's a, it's a park. I guess you could have more other events there. That's one way to recoup some money, right? But what do you do with all those hotels you built? Or, you know, the streets and the streetlights and all the things you build when you create an entire city. How does that recoup? money for you, I guess by having other big events, that's one of the only ways to do it. Yeah. Now you might have
1: experience. Now you might have created a path dependence situation where you have to continually figure out how to pack those stadiums now to get people to pay to see whatever show or spectacle is occurring. If really, if you ask yourself, uh, whether the World Cup is a solid investment for a country, it depends on how you define success. I mean, we can walk through the obvious revenue, right? TV rights um, for the last Cup in 2018 in Russia, those were sold to broadcasters around the world for billions of dollars, like $4.6 billion US. And that was all kept by FIFA.
0: What? So Russia, Russia didn't make money off that. Oh, yeah, because FIFA sold it sold the rights to show it. Mm. That's odd. That's very odd. So like this year in Qatar, how much money did you say they spent building that city? Were 200 billion? Around 220 billion. That's uh, what's been projected by CNN. Good golly. Imagine that's how much you spend on the city, right? To get the World Cup there. And then the rights to show the thing to the world go to somebody else. And that money gets kept by the company that's showing up in your country using all your facilities you just built. <laughs> and
1: ticket sales. Oh, those gotta be huge. By, they're owned by a subsidiary company, which is owned 100% by FIFA.
0: Wait. Okay. And they, they just give that money to the host country, right?
1: Uh No. <laughs> <laughs> Even if you look at how this operates in the past, there have been splits Right, like in uruguay the uh the first world cup, th- that country was able to walk with like half of the ticket sales revenue that's nice, uh, that's something, uh but marketing, if they want to market it, they have to pay FIFA again. FIFA also has the marketing rights that alone was worth more than one billion dollars u s in twenty eighteen FIFA's making a lot of money, and again, uh you know, you could say, well. They have to, right? They own the brand. They own the thing. You know, uh, you will get sued into oblivion if you just got a bunch of your buddies from some other countries to say, hey, we're doing our, we're going to call it the globe goblet. You know what I mean? Or the globe chalice or something. They will not play. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. You're going straight to like the, the, The kind of jail that rich people send other rich people
0: to. Oh, yes, exactly. So, okay, I'm trying to wrap my head around this, Ben. Let's say you're Cutter, the country hosting the World Cup right now. You spend all that money. You're not making money on any of these ways. Why the heck would you do this to yourself?
1: Ah, yeah. Why would you indeed? To answer that question, I think we need to pause for a word from our sponsor and then uh, dive in.
0: Are the rights to these commercials owned by, wait, I guess it's iHeart.
1: No, it's all FIFA. FIFA also owns iHeart. Because we're (sighs) talking. Yeah. Yep.
3: at purdueglobal.edu.
1: All right, we're back. Now, before anybody accuses us of being biased against the good folks at FIFA, obviously the actions of folks at the top of an organization are not representative of what everybody in an organization believes. Obviously. Uh, secondly, yes, I do have a World Cup bracket. <laughs> And yes it is in the tank. I named it Fortune favors the foolish. Oh boy <sighs> Matt was I wrong? <laughs> I was wrong on so many important games. Uh I there were a lot of wins I did not see coming.
0: Yeah? Mhm. Yeah, I was actually really hoping for Japan there until today. Yeah. Yeah, same. It's
1: just uh the one, I think one of the ones that really really knocked me was uh Saudi Arabia.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah,
1: that was that was my bad. But uh you know, yeah, it's already suckered me. I'm talking as though I was playing.
0: Oh man, Ben, it makes so much sense. Now you're speaking to me. I'm thinking about the black market for a World Cup. all the betting. Or the gray market, or maybe it's the white market. I don't know what you would describe it as. It's the legal betting and the oh yeah, uh, under the table betting. I bet there's so much.
1: Oh gosh, can you imagine? Honestly, what Vegas must be lo- looking like right now. Now I'm not personally a gambler. I don't have the whatever brain mechanism makes have fun. Uh, but no ding on it because it's a huge business. A lot of people like doing it. It's just I literally went through and randomly picked. Countries, you <laughs> did, uh, yeah. I was like, I don't, because you know the way those brackets often work is everybody puts in twenty bucks or something, and first place is you get the pot, second place you get your money back, and I it was something like that, you know. So I'm not in an intense thing. I just wanted to to try it out, and turns out there's a learning curve, a little bit, yeah. Uh, and <sighs> you, you can't just. I, I I thought I could be like the uh, the old stereotype of of the horse. Or chicken just randomly picking stuff off a racing sheet. Yeah, no, that was not this
0: time. That's how I play the lottery. But,
1: you still play the lottery?
0: No. All right.
1: <laughs> okay, <laughs> that was great. That was great. That's going to be on everybody. Check out our YouTube to see the you missed some uh, nuance here visually. But to your question, why why do this? Why go through this huge headache? Well, there's a tourism spike. We talked about that. So uh if you are a local business owner, let's say you own a restaurant that's near a stadium where the World Cup is happening, you're probably going to pop your prices up a little bit, right? You're definitely going to have to hire more people. You might want to stay open later too. Uh and that'll and hotels will raise their rates. They know they know they'll be at 100% capacity regardless. Uh but the expense of handling all that extra capacity as a country that kind of that, that expense is bigger than the increase in revenue. You know what I mean?
0: Think about the expense on security. Like mm. over the entire area, I don't even know how many miles out you'd have to go or kilometers out from the major stadium, but you'd have to have increased security for a single restaurant just in case. Uh, we, you know, football matches is nothing against them, but people get rowdy. And after a match, you know, some some bad things go down every once in a while. Not all the time, but every once in a while, you're going to want to have somebody watching that stuff.
1: Oh, yeah, of course. Especially if there is a heated rivalry between some teams or a hotly contested game. I mean, most games are on some level hotly contested. But additionally, those security guards might not necessarily be getting paid more than their average wage. People work in the service industry, to answer our spoiler question earlier, they're not getting more money, maybe if they work in tips, but tipping the way we understand it in the United States is not not the way the rest of the world largely understands it. Uh, also, countries are typically giving out tax breaks, right? Uh, all, all across the board to make themselves look more attractive to FIFA and its partners, but those... To cut into the country's bottom line. Al Jazeera had this great article where they talked about who makes money uh, in, in the World Cup. And they said, people with money make money here. People without it don't. So if you already are if you're already well healed, the World Cup is going to be awesome for you. If you own the land where the stadium is being built, you know what I mean? If you own some logistics or supply company, if you're in an industry that gets touched, then you're going to walk away with a likelihood of making some some hefty coin. But I think the big winner, no matter which team takes the cup, the big winner of the World Cup is always FIFA. That's how the system is built. Uh, I don't know, man. Like. Okay, when when we think of the idea of whether or not it's worth it for a company or a country to host FIFA, we're talking in terms of money. There's much more. There there are many more uh, ways to think of success or profit than just financial. But I, I think when most people think of uh, corruption in FIFA, they're thinking of the of the numbers, right? They're thinking of the cash, the scratch, the cheddar.
0: That's right. That's right. And part of that has to do with which country you end up hosting your event in. And that's why we should talk about that. So how did the World Cup end up in Qatar this year? or Qatar? It's because there is this extensive process to select the host country, right? We know that there's a bidding process that countries, just like the Olympics, it's very similar to the Olympics process where a host country says, hey, you should you should do the World Cup in my country because of X Y Z all the way to like triple Z, and I love saying triple Z. That I don't know why that's fun. It sounds good when you say it. Thanks. I like Z too. It's man, those English roots somewhere deep inside me. Uh, so they bid. They put their hand up and say, "This is why you should host it here." Then FIFA, as an organization, votes on those you know the different people who have made that bid. And the crazy thing is that. They're so backed up, basically, in this process. They're, what, seven to ten years out in choosing host countries at this point?
1: Yeah, yeah. This uh, You're exactly right. Seven years in advance. And it was a little bit unusual recently because the host of the 2022 tournament were chosen at the same time as the host for the 2018 tournament. So it's it's not always a constant rule. But if you are one of the committees uh, that are trying to get your country recognized as the next host country, well, it's a full-time job. And it's a arduous, murderous job because you have to lobby for it. You have to lobby hard. Each of the member states of FIFA get one vote. That's to make things fair and equitable. So if you want to be the host country for the next World Cup, you have to get the majority vote. That sounds simple enough, right? I mean, that's how people get elected to
0: political positions in democracies. Yeah, no, it's true. And there's only 211 member states. So to get a majority of that, and well, and everybody's got one vote. So maybe you only have to get 20 countries to vote for you 30 i don't know
1: yeah okay yeah that's the thing um if you if it comes down to just like two countries then it's whomever has more than 50 percent uh, oh, Okay. so
0: because i'm assuming you would get so many there would probably be several dozen countries in the running after that first vote i'm assuming
1: Right. They make a short list. Right. And then the, yeah. And then the song and dance of glad handing begins. Uh, the next World Cup, by the way, folks, has already been decided. It is the United two, 2026 bid. Uh, it is going to take place in the US, Canada, and Mexico. And it beat out Morocco. Yeah. Pretty interesting, huh?
0: Yeah. That's very different. I kind of like
1: it. I kind of like it, too. I mean, obviously, it's going to be a little easier for folks like you or me to get there. Uh, it's going to be the first time World Cup has been hosted by three countries at once. Wow.
0: Wait, what was the name of that currency that was going to be Canadian, American, and Mexican? The Amero? Is that right? The Amero. It's, it's the, the Amero, Amero Cup.
1: <laughs> it's the globalist. They're coming. They're Amero coming for coin. the soccer ball. Yeah. Uh, so, Okay. There's another big reason. Uh, It's not all the weird stuff we're about to get into uh, in our third act here, but there's there's another neat, just off-the-top reason that you would want your country to host the World Cup. It is this. If you get to host it, then your country's team automatically qualifies to compete. So if you feel like your gang doesn't have a chance of getting into the competition normally then when you host that question goes out the window they're already in
0: do you win like a trillion dollars when you win the world cup just like the, all the team members get a billion a piece is that what you get <sighs> that would make sense <laughs> we'll drop 220 billion you know and then each team member can get a cool bill
1: the way they put it is the total prize pool works out to 440 million this time around, and that's uh, that includes a
0: $42 million prize for the winning team. That's not too shabby. Seems like a big investment, though, for that amount of cash.
1: <laughs> right. Well, it's not just about the money, right? It's sending a message. <laughs> so this is where things get very, very strange. So over the years, a lot of critics – when we say over the years, we mean decades. A lot of critics have been saying – There are countries out there who are not just lobbying, not just trying to make a good presentation about their infrastructure, their potential. They are outright buying votes. These accusations surfaced when Russia hosted. They resurfaced again when Qatar uh, got back in the news leading up to this World Cup. In 2020, we're going to jump around in time here, okay? In 2020, the Department of Justice in the U.S., said representatives working for Russia and Qatar had outright, provably, bribed FIFA officials. Just just paid them to vote this way, get, get the cup in, okay, fine, you can put them in Russia this year, but 2022, take them to our side of town, you know?
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's a, a New York Times piece that you can read right now if you can gain access to it through whatever means necessary. Uh, It was written by Tariq Panja and Kevin Draper, and it really does break down the allegations that are set out here about specific FIFA officials, reps, let's say, who were paid lots of money, millions of dollars. And this money was not just, you know, going across a table. You don't really do that with millions of dollars. Generally, it's a little more difficult to to, to just push across a table. Uh, They were going through... Shell companies like from foreign countries to FIFA officials,
1: yeah, and that story in particular dates back to 2010. U.S. Huh.
0: prosecutor,
1: yeah, <laughs> right. U.S. prosecutors uh, say Russia and Qatar paid five members of FIFA's top board uh, to choose their countries ahead of time, right? And these folks can. Influence each other. But the weird thing is, for at least two of the individuals named, this was old beans. You know, they were like that meme of uh, James Franco getting hanged and saying first time because uh, Nicholas Leos and Ricardo Texiera were both indicted in 2015 on charges related to selling soccer rights to sports broadcasters for a kickback. So I think we need to talk about the biggest issue. Uh, when people talk about FIFA and corruption, they're often talking about the 2015 scandal.
0: Uh, this is not good for FIFA because the FBI is involved. That's never
1: good. Uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> so back in the day in 2015, there were, A number of people, I think 14 people, indicted in connection with an investigation the FBI was doing. Also, guess what? The IRS, uh uh-oh, tax man. It's their criminal investigation division. They were looking into wire fraud and racketeering and good old-fashioned money laundering. And, uh, you know, that's not great, right? Not a good look for that to be going around the news cycle back in 2015. Uh, What was going on, Ben? Oh, 14 people in all got
1: indicted, uh, charged with wire fraud, racketeering, and good old money laundering. The USAG Attorney General also said, we're going to unseal these indictments, meaning that, you know, the public can learn about them, uh, and we're going to show you the prior guilty pleas by two corporations and four football executives. The whole thing was the idea what uh, that People were playing fast and loose in a dirty, profitable way with media and marketing rights for FIFA games in the Americas. Uh, And at least there were at least $10 million in bribes, uh, and that's just touching the surface, right? Uh, And there were at least $110 million in bribes in just one case, and that's scratching the surface. Yeah, there's a FIFA official named Chuck Blazer who said, who admitted, yeah, I took bribes, uh, and it was a quid pro quo. I got paid to give the World Cup to France in 1998 and give it to South Africa in 2010. This bribery appeared to be a long-running grift. This was like a the way business was done. At least that's what the critics were alleging. Uh, so the the voting turned out to be a lot more like a uh, who can pay the most yeah. kind of kind of situation.
0: Well, yeah, because Chuck Blazer admitted, freely admitted, well, I'm not the only one doing this. We all accept this kind of thing. I mean, what? This is broad. We're talking FIFA broadcast rights. You don't know how much money that is. He didn't say it just like that, but it was similar.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he didn't sound as cool as you just did, but he did say it. He did basically say that. And uh, this dated back to at least 1992. That's when Blazer said he would, quote, facilitate the acceptance of a bribe. In that uh, selection process, so handshakes, getting people, um, getting people connected, and then okay, so this this thing is catastrophic for FIFA's public image, and somebody, several people, have to fall on their swords. Right, they're looking for scapegoats, which is what large organizations almost always will do. So, the president of FIFA, a guy named Sepp Blatter, announces his resignation. Very shortly thereafter, um, Blatter was, uh, in the eyes of some journalists, uh, Blatter was portrayed as a guy who knew bribes were going on, but accepted it because he needed internal support to allow him to retain power as president of FIFA.
0: Mm. You know, Ben, this reminds me of the Black Monday murders. What's the name <laughs> of the... The position within the inner circle that is the sacrifice. It's like the chair. No, what what is it called? The stone chair. The stone chair. That dude, Seth Blatter, was on the stone chair.
1: He was on the stone chair. Just, I was thinking the same thing too. Um. Oh gosh, that book is just great. Uh the end is supposed to be coming out finally. That's what I, I keep hearing. Years. That's what I keep hearing too. I bet you. Oh, I said I didn't gamble, but now I've got the bug. I would bet you um a night out on the town that black monday murders still comes out before the next George R.R. R. Martin song of uh, Ice and Fire book.
0: I probably wouldn't take that bet because I,
1: I think it, uh, I think you yeah. might be right. <laughs> I had to try. But uh but yeah so the the damage is done. And again not we're not saying everybody working at FIFA is some kind of criminal or uh master uh, financial supervillain, no. But in the eyes of the public, where a lot of people have been very suspicious of shady dealings and conspiracies within FIFA for generations, this scandal proved beyond the shadow of a doubt that parts of the story were true. Factions in the organization were committing some pretty serious crimes, and there's a lot more to the story, enough to make an entire podcast series at which boy, one shout out our pal, uh, Miles, over at uh, Daily Zeitgeist. I think he EP'd a show called Lords of Soccer, which is about this kind of crime and corruption.
0: Oh, yes. Good old
1: Miles of Gray. And okay, so we've got what seems to be a systemic process of buying votes occurring multiple times. And still, financial corruption is, believe it or not, only a piece of the conspiracy puzzle.
0: Yeah, there's more. It's going to get unsettling after the break. We'll be right back.
3: at purdueglobal.edu. And we're back.
1: Fellow conspiracy realist. remember how Matt and I were talking about the billions of dollars host countries spend to get everything in line for the World Cup? Well, someone has to build all that stuff they're paying for. Stadiums, facilities, you name it. Countries don't have that. A lot of them don't have that stuff just laying around already or lying around.
0: No. Somebody has to physically make it happen. And you gotta keep costs down, guys. You know you gotta keep costs down. And how do you do that? Oh yeah, you you just don't pay people. Uh this is
1: this, this is a huge problem. Uh there is a particular kind of sponsorship. It roughly translates to um cutter ha which we'll get into it, but if you You'll see why a lot of people say this calling it sponsorship is kind of a euphemism for something much nastier. Critics have said Qatar has this long-standing record of numerous human rights violations, especially when it comes to their treatment of foreign workers, of LGBTQ people, of folks who identify as women. Uh, as far back as 2013, international sources of note we're saying, hey, the World Cup in Qatar might be supporting slavery. In fact, uh, I believe it was Amnesty International started calling it the Slave Cup uh, because for a while, foreign workers, a lot of whom came from uh, Nepal, the Philippines, uh, and India, there was an investigation the Guardian did, and they did great work with it that seemed to prove. Nepalese workers were dying at a rate of almost one per day in Qatar under pretty vague circumstances, too, like uh, a heart attack, heart failure,
0: which, as you know, can be caused by any number of things, folks. Yeah, it can be uh, overworking the heck out of somebody could cause that probably. Um And we would say go ahead and pull up your old HBO Max subscription, if you've got one, or uh, YouTube. You can find it on YouTube. That's the way I would do it, actually. Uh, Check out Last Week Tonight from back in the day, years ago, when John Oliver talked about this very thing.
1: Mm -hmm. And then talked about it again pretty recently with Qatar. So the Nepalese workers, the people of Nepalese origin there, were... The or are the single largest group of laborers in the country. And if you look at the way the International Labor Organization defines slavery, then the circumstances under which they are laboring fit that definition. And we're being careful about it, but the accusations are incredibly terrifying things, stuff like evidence of forced labor, without compensation or uh, statements from employees who say they haven't been paid for months and sometimes their salaries are withheld to stop them from just running away out of desperation. Their passports are confiscated. They can't get ID cards, which means that the system itself is making you an illegal alien after it has taken you within its borders.
0: Yeah. And that's not to mention an entire... Investigation that the Guardian, this UK outlet that also functions across the globe, they found that there were atrocious conditions under which a lot of men, these Nepalese men who were working there in Qatar, uh, they were held in these gross situations. We're talking like 12 people to a room. We're talking filthy conditions, people getting really sick. Uh, It was not good. Not at
1: all. And uh, they, you know, you can see footage of this in. Numerous journalistic sources now, it's, it's not livable, right? And, and the heat there is insane. The environment's pretty brutal, too. That's another thing a lot of journalists will bring up and a lot of critics will bring up when they say, why did Cutter get chosen for this, right? Uh, such a hot place where you can easily
0: die of dehydration or exposure to the sun. Well, and, and all of that stuff sucks on a human level so hard. terrible, right? But then when you think about the amount of money that is being poured in to the buildings that are being created by folks who are being exploited in this way, it just becomes that much more disgusting, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's just not a good part to the story, you know? And we also consider, we have to consider that this country has the highest ratio of migrant workers to domestic population on the planet. More than 90% of the workforce, they're immigrants from some somewhere else. That means that logically, these practices are influencing the majority of workers in that country. And then, you know, consider even if you're not working there, you can still be affected by just visiting for the World Cup. Qatar has laws that restrict and outright illegalize certain lifestyles. Uh, they have a sodomy law on the books, uh, so... Same-sex contact between dudes can get you seven years in in a jail in that country, in prison. Uh, and they're very specific about it. Things that are considered immoral are not allowed. Originally, there was this big deal about uh, Budweiser, for instance, being one of the—I think it was Budweiser—being one of the sponsors of the cup— and there was going to be this deal where you could drink beer in the stadium, or they were going to they were going to relax some of the um, anti-alcohol laws, right? True, of course, a big deal in these countries. But then there was a, a brief stink because Cutter went back and said, "Oh no, no, we're not doing that," uh, out of a concern of our own citizens. We don't want them to be offended or feel unsafe. So that was their. Reasoning for this, but obviously, some Western sponsors felt like they had been had or swindled. Uh, and the thing that gets me about it, man, is you have to remember anytime you go to another country, you have to respect the laws of that land. Like, you can't go to a place that has the death penalty for possession of certain drugs and say, Whoa, whoa. Hey guys, calm down. I know it's Malaysia, but I'm from the Netherlands. Where weed is fine, so just go find someone else, you know, and have a great day.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, and the same with any other substance, right? You you can't just step all over some other country's laws. Uh, can't do that. But what happens when the laws in that country are human rights in nature, right? The, your existence as you, whoever you are, as you identify, is not okay here and not allowed. Right.
1: Yeah. Like a country says, we refuse to acknowledge your existence as an LGTBQ person or something like that. Like, it's not anything you did. It's who you are. That is against the law. Your existence is against the law. This is a question the international community is wrestling with now. And the, the thing is that FIFA is not a government. FIFA is a very powerful organization, but it is not a government. So it can pressure countries to change their laws or make exceptions, but it's only real carrot stick mechanism that it can deploy is letting you have the World Cup or not letting you have the World Cup, right? And so this is, you know, that's a door you can only open and close so many times. Since it's dealing with countries' actual sovereign powers – it can't really, at this point, make a nation do anything. It just it can't. Um, it can exert economic pressure, right? But also, FIFA is a traveling show. Every four years, it's someplace different, right? So, uh, the so it's not exactly the same as the kind of economic squeeze like um, a Unilever or a Nestle could exert on a country. Just a just to show how those are two different situations. All right, well, we've explained a lot of, a lot of weird stuff. Uh, one thing we, we should probably hit before we get to the end is why host it all? If it's such a headache and there are backlashes, you already have to spend billions of money above board, probably several hundred million
0: beneath board, right? To grease the right palms. Why are you doing this? Ah, uh, just... Because no, it's gotta be it's gotta be something that just I'm not thinking about, Ben, but something that just changes the way other countries think about your country, maybe. I don't know. Oh, you know, you know exactly. It's good old soft power.
1: It's the Confucius Institutes here in the US. It's voice of America, it's stuff like that. Diplomacy is a hell of a drug. You know, in politics and in geopolitics in particular, soft power is this ability to co-opt rather than coerce. Hard power is coercion, right? Hard power is send in the army. Soft power is make us, you know, don't you like us now? Like, uh, and soft (laughs) power happens everywhere, right? Like, uh, you'll see organized crime rings doing public outreach, during disasters, right? Or tough economic times. We'll feed your family and make sure you remember that it was us who did so. That's soft power.
0: Oh, yeah. I just want everybody listening. And uh, if there are any young people listening, go ahead and just uh, turn it off right now, parents. Go ahead and turn it off. Uh, you can turn it back on in just a second. Um I just, I want you to go back, go back a few seconds there. Listen to that whole section of Ben explaining that. And it makes all total sense. It, it does. And I agree, Ben, but just think about it in the context of a male sexual organ. And then like, think about the, the two <laughs> the two different types of power because it totally matches up and it freaks me out. It's creepy, but it's hilarious too. It's really, really funny. Okay. <laughs> okay. Come back. Oh, okay. You turn no. back on. All right. Here we oh, go. Boy.
1: All right. so. This is, uh, this is a real thing. It's what people are talking about when they, say winning, when they say winning hearts and minds. And there's nothing inherently wrong with it. That's the thing. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. That's why it's a big part of civilization. I mean, human civilization as well as the amazing game series, Civilization. Matt, did you ever play that game? I'm sure you have. I'm certain you have.
0: I did, but honestly, I'm not into it. I'm not into it. Oh, it's man. just way too many, I got to increase numbers here and there and do small actions. Not enough, not enough real action, you know? It was more of like a soft game for me than a hard game. Does that make sense? <laughs> oh my God, you're not <laughs> letting this one go.
1: All right. Uh, yeah, no, it, it makes sense. Uh, people who play Civilization, one of the things you'll notice is that there are ways to win the game that are entirely cultural in nature. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can have a chosen religion. You can become a theocracy. You can achieve a cultural victory uh, without deploying militaries. So there is, I feel weird saying it now, there is power to that soft power stuff, right? Uh, But not all of it is ethical. This is something, this leads us to something called sports washing. And there's not a real, like, agreed upon definition, but most people, think that it is a phenomenon defined by a couple of things. A big, powerful entity, a state, or maybe even a non-state actor uses sports to make themselves look better in the public eye. And they can. this can be anything from uh, sponsoring sports teams, right? You know, a very wealthy person who needs the reputation repaired buys a sports team. Then there are, you know, the idea of hosting sporting events and competitions, right? The, the, the Olympics in modern history have always been, to a degree, diplomatic in nature, right? There's a lot of soft power there. Yeah, there is. <laughs> okay. We're going to start calling it some different other than hard power. Or soft power. You guys got to see, Matt. I just wish I knew the jokes that were going through your head.
0: (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm like 10, 12 years old today. I apologize, everyone. We're hard powering through it.
1: Uh, We'll see. No, Paul, keep it in. Uh, So, both sides of the human rights argument. Engage in sports is diplomacy, right? The United Nations does it. International development agencies do it. Uh, Sports plays a role in the story of a country, right? In South Africa, uh, when President Mandela co signed the national rugby team during the World Cup of 1995, then that was seen as an example of reconciliation. And that's why the world's most important soccer games or football games, excuse us, are a lot more than just some excellent athletes kicking a ball around. that, And that's also why FIFA is not going to go away. It's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. It's already the most popular... It's already the, the biggest name in the most popular sport on the planet, which means it'll just generate more and more money. Matt, my friend, I'm asking you, what
0: does this mean? How do, how do people even try to fix this? Well, I, I mean... I don't see how you do right now. Uh, I think we should consult with Miles and get him on the show to like give us a, you know, some pointers. What does he think? How would he change it? <laughs> let's put it on miles instead of on us no, yeah, no. we'll pass that, <laughs> pass that.
1: We'll, we'll, we'll pass that buck we'll kick that ball over to uh, over to miles no Jack but really dailies, I, I, I think having a, I,
0: think, I think having that conversation right how do you actually get a huge organization like this that does you know connect all of these different countries all of the teams all of the fans how do you get that organization to play fairly and what would that even look like? Because, you know, theoretically, they've got the bidding concept and the voting thing and all of that. And I think that might be the crux of the problem, or at least the the biggest place where corruption can begin is that bid that everybody has to put in. I don't know. There's something about that.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point, too. And this is just an intro, uh, an intro into, uh, again, a multi generational, ongoing series of conspiracies. Folks, we want to hear from you. Uh, What would you say are the solutions to this? Uh, Does FIFA have a responsibility to become more involved in controversies around human rights, or are they simply a sports organization? with no um, should that not affect their decision at all we want to hear from you all you have to do is drop by our Facebook page our Instagram page or our YouTube conspiracy stuff and if you don't like the social needs well you can always give us a phone
0: call Yes, our number is 1-833-STDWYTK. It's a voicemail system. You've got three minutes. Please give yourself a cool nickname. We don't care what it is. Let us know if we can use your name and voice on one of our listener mail episodes. And uh, say whatever you'd like. If you've got more to say than can fit in that three minutes, why not instead send us a good old-fashioned email? We are conspiracy at iheartradio.com.
1: If you dare.